Good morning, Springbrook. I'm, I'm back here. I'm back here. We're going to do it different today. I'll be speaking, so your neck is going to kind of get tired, but I think we'll make it more interesting. Well, I want to thank you all for being here today, especially our guests. We want to thank you for hanging out with us today, worshiping God. Remember, we have our brownies back here. Be sure to pick those up, and we hope you enjoy our service. Well, let's take a look at uh, what we're doing this Christmas as we seek to get the, the truth out. So this will be a familiar picture for you guys. Uh, what's wrong with this picture? Bob, can you tell us what's wrong with this picture? I think it's those three guys on the camel. They yeah. don't belong there. No, they do not belong. When did they come? I believe it was uh, several years later. <laughs> Very good. Very good. We don't know if there were three of them, right? No, not for sure. Could be. I, who but knows, you know, right? Air Wiseman, exactly. Well, again, during the Christmas season, uh, one thing that I've done through many years, almost 30, is my Wiseman Truth Initiative. 1989 in Nina, Wisconsin, we started out the first church. And remember, our slogan is truth over tradition. Say that with me. Truth over tradition. One more time. Truth over tradition. And this is the most painful thing when people really hear the truth. They say, but it, they go together. They're a set. Uh, it's just tradition. Is it truth or tradition? Truth is where we need to go, right? Members, many, but there are so many more people to tell. Our purpose to aggressively communicate and correct nativity scenes. So first of all, you have to correct your own. And then you need to start correcting other people's, Right? At Christmas parties, you're just hanging out at somebody's house, they go to the bathroom. You take the wise men out, and you put that little sign there. Two years later, you should have that in your, in your pocket or your purse and have a couple of them so you can you know, be, again, telling people the truth. Kim Jocelyn sent me a uh, message, and she said that the wise men still at Living Waters Lutheran Church, they have learned, uh, we have worked together, and they have now put their wise men away from the nativity scene. Mike Montez sent me this particular slide. Uh, he's part of a union, so he's saying, Wiseman unite. Just say no to Dan. We have nativity rights too, and we have all these other characters that would love to be in the nativity scene. I mean, loaded up. Have you ever seen a, a yard where they just have everything that's related to Christmas, and you know, Jesus might be there somewhere, uh, so I appreciate that. Uh, Mike, uh, now this is really good. Patrick West has attended church uh, here for many years, and he owns a real estate company. And so what he did for the last six years was put out a nativity scene, and when he realized the truth, he put that little note there so everybody would see it. They did arrive two years later. Now, it's really funny because Patrick has this uh, camera uh, you'll see it here, the camera, and there's a mic there. And so when anybody comes close to the nativity scene, uh, he's pinged on his phone. <laughs> because sometimes people steal the, steal the baby Jesus. Can you imagine that? Unbelievable. So what happened one night is his phone pinged, and he looked, and there was a guy, you could see the video, approaching the baby Jesus. 
And he said, stay away from the baby Jesus. <laughs> Can you imagine this guy? You know, I don't know why anybody wants to steal it. But he's moving in, thinks nobody's watching, and all of a sudden he hears this voice, stay away from the baby Jesus. I mean, this guy to this day is probably thinking God spoke to him. God spoke to him, and you said, you don't touch that baby Jesus, no doubt. How many of you are into uh, genealogy? Do we have anybody who really likes to study? Oh, Mary is a lady right here, so why don't you stand up? Tell us what you've done in the area of genealogy. Um, let me see. We've um, I've done Ancestry.com, okay. so I'm trying to learn out more about the history of my family. Any interesting um, things you'd like to share with us? Well, I am um, ch- uh, supposed to be Cher- uh, Cherokee Indian. Wow. Uh, my mother's mother was full Cherokee Indian. Interesting. So I'm learning all about that. I don't know a lot about my father's family. But okay. But it's fun to learn yeah, about. Yeah, it is, it isn't is. it? It really is. Thank you. And there are a lot of baby boomers retired now. They have some extra time. It really is going to be a very fun hobby. And, and I, was, I keep seeing all the commercials. I said, okay, well, I'm going to check this thing out. It's $20 a month to be a member. And you also can take a DNA test. Uh, it tells you kind of where you're, you're at. And it's 80 bucks. Uh, but what I was wondering, how easy is this, because I don't want to put a lot of effort into it. I was just thinking that I would enter my name, and all of a sudden, whoop, a a family tree would just be laid out for me. Now, that's worth $20, at least for one month, but you do have to work at it. You have to work at it. I mean, it's nice to get all the information there that you need, uh, but you need to, you know, do some digging and things of that nature, and it's great for people who want to do it, but at the same time, uh, it's not as easy as I would hope it to be. Now, if you lived in the days of Jesus, you wouldn't need Ancestry.com because Jews knew their genealogy. We see it throughout Scripture, don't we? There's like 50 different uh, genealogy lists in the Old Testament because you've got to remember that when The Israelites were going into the promised land, going into Canaan. What did God do? He said, I'm going to give you this land, and what I want you to do, I'm going to lay out where all the 11 tribes and where their their property is, per se. This is the land I'm giving you. This portion of the land is for Judah. This portion of the land is for Benjamin. And, And so that was really important in everything that they did. They knew their genealogy because you didn't want to sell a piece of property to someone outside your tribe. So kids were taught early on. That's what their identity was. We have uh, Paul, who was from the tribe of Benjamin. So they didn't need any help with genealogy. And I bring that up today because we're going to look at the genealogy of Jesus Christ found in Matthew 1, 1, uh, excuse me, uh, verses 1 through 16. 1 through 16. Now, (laughs) you know, when you're going through a a read to the Bible program, I'll be honest, genealogies are really dry and boring. They're inspired and they're good, but I usually skip over them. 
But this is a genealogy we need to pay attention to. So why would Matthew put a genealogy of Christ's ancestry at the very beginning of the book? Well, you need to remember that each of the Gospels was written to a different group of people, a different audience. And Matthew was especially written for Jewish people. And Jews knew their genealogy. They knew the genealogy of the Messiah, the Christ. They knew exactly what the line would be. So when they started to read this letter, and all of a sudden they see this genealogy, they say, well, of course, oh, I see. He's saying that Jesus Christ is in the king. The genealogy, the promises that are found in the Old Testament, the prophecies, they all ring true. So, I mean, that would have been fascinating reading for them because they knew all these people had been taught about them. So we're going to look at that today. Now remember, Mary and Joseph, and Joseph also went up from Galilee. Where were they going? Well, they were living in Nazareth, and they had to go to Galilee, or excuse me, go to <clears throat> Bethlehem, because they were registering for a census. And how they know where to go? Well, again, they knew their genealogy, and they were from the tribe of Judah, the lineage of David. So that's where they went. People knew their ancestors and who they'd come from. And, and that was really a strong part of their identity. Well, let's look at Matthew 1.1. 1, 1. The book, uh, the Greek word is biblos. Uh, it also can mean list. So, so the book or the list of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Now, that meant a lot to Jews right there. I mean, I mean, Abraham, he was the father of the Jewish people. And, and David, well, that was very critical as well if we're thinking about Jesus Christ being called the Messiah. You see, Matthew was saying Jesus Christ is the Messiah. In fact, Christ is. Christos, uh, that's Greek uh, for the Hebrew Messiah. And then that means anointed one. The Messiah, the Christ, is the anointed one. He's anointed as king. He's anointed as a prophet. He's anointed as a priest. All those different roles, he is called that in Scripture. So this is very important. And it's interesting because Jesus Christ claimed that he was king of the Jews. Remember, during uh, the Holy Week, uh, when he came before Pilate, and what did Pilate say? And then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? How did Jesus answer this question? You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born. So he said, Yeah, I'm a king. I'm a king. You got it right. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. So Jesus Christ is the king. And so this genealogy we see at the beginning of this letter, the Jewish people in Matthew was to tell them, 
Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Right up front, let's get this straight. This is what this whole book is about. It's to prove to Jewish people that this was their Messiah. This was their king. In fact, as you study the Old Testament, uh, David, okay, David was promised that he uh, would be in the ancestry of Jesus Christ. We look at 2 Samuel 7, 12, and, and God tells David, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. I'm talking about Jesus Christ here, right? He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So again, he, he was a son of Abraham. He was a son of David. And David was from the, the tribe of Judah. Remember, Jacob or Israel had 12 sons, and, and each of them uh, became one of the tribes of Israel. So let's look at the genealogy. We're going to kind of skip around here. Uh, just to notate, we're not going to go through all the different names. Uh, but let's start in Matthew 1.16. This is the, the ending verse of this passage. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called the Christ or the Messiah. Jacob was Joseph's father, and he was married to Mary. So again, the point here is he goes right down the line and he says, okay, we get to the end here. And Jesus was born, who was called Christ. Now, I want to look at some different individuals in this genealogy list. Let's start out with Abraham. That's where it starts. Matthew 1, 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob and Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. So Abraham, now, now, again, when we think of Abraham, we think of there is a man of God. There was a man who was willing to sacrifice his own son in order to obey God. And that didn't happen, of course. But it proved his faith. But Abraham struggled with faith as well. He, he struggled a lot with it. In fact, when uh, he was first married to Sarah and they were traveling, I mean, she, she was just a knockout. She was a babe. I don't know what the words are today to describe that. But I tell you, people turned their heads. <clears throat> Can I have a water, please? Uh, when Sarah came. And, and so they would go through these different areas, and he knew that, that everybody was going to pay attention and eventually was going to get to the king. And so he lied. He said, no, this is my sister. He lied twice. He didn't learn. And what wasn't Abraham doing? He wasn't trusting God. He was saying, well, I, I've got to come up with some story or they're going to take her and she's going to become part of their harem. He wasn't trusting God. When you think of the promise of the fact that Isaac was going to be born, that this one son where all this unbelievable nation would come from, I mean, he got impatient, or Sarah got impatient. They both did. They made the decision, okay, why don't you sleep uh, with the handmaiden 
Hagar, and, and we'll have a child, and we'll kind of speed this process up with God. God needs some help. You ever done that before? Say, hey, God, you need some help, so I'm going to do something here. Uh, I, I just need to do it. I need to get things going. And, and that, again, was a lack of faith. Friends, Abraham was a sinner. Abraham was a sinner. And as we look throughout this genealogy, it, it's amazing. Oh, thanks, man. It's amazing that what we see is that there's a lot of sinners in this genealogy. I mean, there are some big-time sinners. I mean, people you wouldn't... I mean, I mean, the genealogy of a king, you would expect a very prominent people to be a part of that. But some of the people we're going to talk about today, oh, my, uh, they were sinners. So we have Abraham... And, of course, Isaac and Jacob and Esau came from Isaac and Rebekah, their marriage. And you think about uh, Jacob, right? Oh, man. You know, this guy was a liar. He was a deceiver. What happened was is that he wanted to be the firstborn because the firstborn got two-thirds of the inheritance. And so what he did is, remember, he, he tricked uh, his brother uh, Esau into selling his birthright for a, a pot of soup, a stew, and, and that's really devious. Then on top of that, when when uh, Israel was dying, uh, what happened was is that he tricked his father again and pretended that he was Esau and got something more important than even the birthright, and that was that special blessing that the father gave the firstborn. So he pretended to be Esau in order to deceive him, and so he got the blessing, and that embodied him with power. He'd be lord over the nations, all that type of thing. We're saying this kind of guy is in Jesus Christ's genealogy, a liar, a cheat, a manipulator, whatever. I mean, yes, yes, because... He was a sinner, right? He was a sinner. And then we look at uh, Judah and Jacob, the father of Judah, and his brothers. We'll talk about Judah in a second. Well, let's continue on here. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. Well, we all know David's story, right? Yeah, David's is a, a sad story of a man who at one point is called a man with a heart after God, like no other man. Oh, that's what we want to have. We want to have that kind of heart. But on the other end of things, we know, we'll talk, well, we'll talk about it now, in terms of uh, <clears throat> the wife of, of Uriah. I remember that story, of course, when David didn't go off to war and he lusted after a woman, had an affair with her, Bathsheba. And they had a baby, and of course there was judgment. The baby died, but that forth, forth a Solomon, their next child. And of course you remember that David tried to cover it up by getting Uriah to come home so there could be a correlation when the child was born, and, and that didn't work, so he had Uriah murdered. So we're talking big time here. He is a murderer. 
he is an adulterer. And uh, there are so many other sins listed in his life. He was a terrible father. But you know what? Jesus Christ, <laughs> he would pay the sacrifice for David. Because David was a sinner. And then we go on. David's son was Solomon. Now Solomon, oh my, he was ruling Israel when Israel was at the height of its power. It had more land than it ever had before. And Solomon, remember, he was given the gift of wisdom. I mean, I mean he had incredible wisdom. He wrote Proverbs and the Song of Solomon and Ecclesiastes. He had a lot of wisdom, and he was given the privilege of dedicating the temple to God. David couldn't do it because he had too much blood on his hands, but his son Solomon did that. Now, again, that's really great how God used him, but as we know, Solomon went south in his relationship with God. Near the end of his life, uh, he, yeah, he struggled with with sexual issues, and he had all kinds of wives and a thousand wives and a harem on top of that. And that wasn't enough for him. So what he did was, is when you were making a treaty with a foreign nation, they would give you a woman. They would give you a woman to be part, to be your wife, I guess. And, And so what happened was he loved these women, and these women led him astray. They wanted their particular pagan god, deity, idol. They wanted a place to worship him. And so Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, he was a sinner. He was a sinner. The good news again is that God loves sinners. You say that with me? God loves sinners. Say it again. God loves sinners. Sinners. Isn't that good news? It's good news to me, no doubt. So we have Solomon. Now, again, there's four different women that are mentioned in the genealogy. So the wife of Uriah, that's Bathsheba. They didn't always tell who the wife was, but sometimes they did, I think, in order to point out what kind of Messiah uh, was coming. Then we look at Matthew 1 7. So, or excuse me, 17. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. So we're going to see three different generations laid out here, okay? So 14 generations, Abraham to David, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14 generations, and from the deportation to Babylon to the Christ, 14 generations. Generations. Let's look at this. There are three different eras in in Israel Israel's history. The first was Abraham to David, and this was maybe one of the best eras. I mean, you had all of uh, the patriarchs, Abraham and and David and uh, Joseph, and then you had the judges, Samson and Gideon, and the list goes on. And they really came closer to God than maybe they ever 
did during this period, even though there were a lot of problems as usual. And so that's how they got started out. And, and they had David on the throne, the man after God's own heart. Now, the second 14 generations was David to Babylon. And they're starting to go downhill, right? I mean, David was a man after God's own heart, but he sinned. Solomon sinned to the extent where God was disciplining the people of Israel. So what happened was there was a civil war. A civil war uh, took place, and you had two different nations that, that came out of that. And then they had a whole series of kings in each of these nations, and oh, mercy. <laughs> they really, really were far from God, the majority of them. And then finally, of course, uh, God had said, if you continue to rebel against me, I'm going to put you in, in, in Babylon. I'm going to put you into exile for 70 years. And their hearts didn't turn, and sure enough, they all went off to Babylon. So that's a, a difficult period. And then we go Babylon to Christ. Now <laughs> the Jewish people in relationship to Christ, or, or God that is, were on life support. I mean, they they just were rebellious if they did come back and rebuild the walls and the temple, that type of thing. But there wasn't a heart for God. You just read the minor prophets and you'll see that. And then there were 400 years when God didn't even say anything, and that was very unusual. 400 years of silence between the New Testament and the Old Testament. So that they couldn't been in worse shape at this time. But why did Jesus come? Because, say it with me, God loves sinners. Say it louder. God loves sinners. We see uh, these examples. Now, the next one I want to talk about is just really disturbing. Uh, it's the story of Tamar. Now, Judah, remember Judah, the tribe of Judah, uh, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram. So here's the story. We have Judah. Again, Jesus Christ came from the tribe of Judah. But he was a very wicked man. And he had a, a son who married Tamar. But his son was so wicked, God took him home early. Now, Judah's responsibility at that point, the custom was that he would give another son to Tamar because for women it was very important, of course, uh, that they bear a child and that they have a husband. So Tamar was uh, uh, both, and, and so Judah did not follow through. So Tamar, again, not trusting God, we get that theme right, she decided to make it happen herself. So after her husband died, uh, she took off her widow clothes and she put on clothes that would, you know, uh, be spoken of as, as a prostitute. Uh, she made herself look attractive in that way and she went to another city and, and, and Judah came and, and she knew it. She had it all laid out and he knew Judah liked prostitutes and so uh, he said, hey, listen, uh, let's hook up here. And, and when Judah saw Tamar, his daughter-in-law, okay, he didn't know it, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face 
he turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come into you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? So she's saying, Hey, this is not for free here. It's all part of her strategy. He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. So that's very profitable. Goat, you have milk and things like that. So, yeah, that's a good payment. But she said, if you give me a pledge until you send it. So you're saying, you say you're going to do that, but how do I know you're going to do that? I want you to give me something that I can hold on to. So when you come to me and give me that goat, I'll give this stuff back to you. Another part of her strategy. And he said, what pledge shall I give to you? She already knew. She replied, your signet and your cord and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Wow. Incest. So Tamar said, since Judah is not going to give me one of his sons, I'm going to become impregnated by him. And she lays this whole strategy out, and she conceived. And again, uh, the penalty uh, for... Uh, sex outside marriage was death. And so she was going to be killed. And, and she said, hey, listen, I have some things that I'd like to show the, the king, and, and so or Judah, that is. And, and so she sent the signet ring and uh, the cord and the staff. And, of course, right away he realized what? He realized, oh, mercy, that was my daughter-in-law. And so he couldn't kill her. So two sons were born, twins, get this, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar and Perez the father of Herzon and Herzon the father of Ram. That's really disturbing. Even in our country uh, where we've thrown away a lot of the morals that God's established, I mean, that's still, hey, don't go there. And here we have it. And we have it in the genealogy of Christ. Judah sinned against Tamar, and then Tamar sinned against Judah. She shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. So they were both sinners. But what do we know about sinners? Say it with me. All right, a little more energy here. Ready? What is, let's see, was sinners sinners? A little louder, okay. One more time. Isn't that wonderful news? Because we're all sinners. And I tell you what, if you, here, here's one of the points I want to make. You look back at your life, and maybe there's something that you have done, one of those big sins one that you feel so guilty about, and God will never love me. God can never accept me. I can never be good enough. You're right, you can't be good enough, no matter what the sin. God loves you. And Jesus Christ can forgive. God can forgive through Jesus Christ. We go on and summon the father of Boaz by Rahab. Okay, here's another woman. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. There's another woman. And Obed, the father of Jesse. Now, remember the story. Excuse me.
Remember the story of Rahab. Remember the Canaanites, they were going <clears throat> into the promised land. And they had to take down Jericho. And Jericho was the biggest city. They were so far outnumbered. Remember, they had the, God had them express their faith by walking around the city seven times and another seven times. Well, there were spies that went in to say, okay, you know, what's the city like? How can we take it? And they ended up hiding with a prostitute named Rahab. Now, she was a Canaanite. And oh, God, God said basically kill all the Canaanites because he knew that if they intermarried with Canaanites, uh, all this idolatry was going to come, all these pagan gods. And of course, Israel didn't get rid of the Canaanites. But, but it's interesting with this one woman, a Canaanite in, the, in the, <laughs> the genealogy of Christ, here is a prostitute, okay? So they go in to hide. And so when the king's officials come, because... Uh, they knew that she was there. She hid them on the roof so they wouldn't be found. And uh, officials went away, and they got away. A scarlet red cord. And uh, because of her part in this uh, amazing miracle, she was promised that she could be a part of Israel, a Canaanite, a part of Israel, a prostitute, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And what, what, does that, what does that prompt us to say? Go. Say it with me. God loves sinners. Say it again. God loves sinners. And you know, I want to say one thing. As we as Christians, as we look at the world around us and look at the people around us and and look at the way they act and the things they do. Those people who don't know Jesus, should we be surprised? Should we be surprised at an individual that's taught by this culture, hey, your whole life's an accident? Well, yeah, they're going to do whatever they want to do because in their life there's no hope. I mean, okay, well, I'm here. I'll do whatever I think is good, and that's my truth. Should we be surprised? Sometimes, oh, those sinful people, those evil people, look what they're doing to our culture. But should it be a surprise that they're going after their lusts when they don't know Jesus Christ? We have to remember that every time we're reaching out to a lost person, and again, yeah, I mean, all of us were lost, right? <laughs> and and uh, yeah, they have a lot of things in their life that shouldn't be there, but that's no surprise. That's why Jesus came, right? Yeah, no doubt. Now, what's interesting about, uh, excuse me, let me go back one. Uh, let's go on. And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. Oh, Ruth, we know who Ruth is. Here's the other woman in the genealogy. You know, Naomi, she had the two sons. Uh, they married two Moabites. She was living in the land. And, and they both died. And Ruth decided to go back to Israel with her mother-in-law to care for her. And remember the love story between Ruth and Boaz. And they eventually uh, get married. So here you have Ruth, who's a Moabite. Oh, Oh, the Jews, they hated 
the Moabites. And Obed, in fact, one of Lori's uh, nephews named their child Obed. God bless him. <laughs> but uh, so, so they had a baby, right? The father of Jesse. And again, this is what God said about the, the Moabites. No Ammonite or Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord even to the tenth generation none of them may enter the assembly of the lord forever and where do we find her somebody who has received grace somebody who's part of the genealogy of christ again if you are struggling with guilt if you are are struggling with with pain because of what you did in the past or even what you did as a christ follower that should not be you need to remember what do we need to remember god loves sinners say it again god loves sinners and now we come to the christmas story mary will bear a son And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. This is where it leads, right? We start at Abraham, and we go all the way down. Now, this is the legal genealogy found in the book of Matthew. And Joseph was not the father, the blood father, one might say, of Jesus, but he was the legal father. Now, if you look in Luke, you'll see another genealogy. And this is fascinating. Uh, what Luke does is he lays it out in reverse order, starting with Mary and shows the bloodline that she also was part of the bloodline of David. So, I mean, Joseph wasn't the father, but Mary had the blood, you might say, of David flowing through her. And so that, again, is how it all worked. The legal part of it and the blood part of it, and, of course, the Holy Spirit brought about a beautiful baby who would change the world and he said these things. This is uh, talking to Jesus Christ. Uh, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breast at which you nursed. So he said, Hey, wow, Mary is a very special woman. I mean, every woman, <laughs> teenager wanted to be, you know, obviously the mother of the Messiah. Now, how does Jesus Christ respond to that? You're right. Blessed is Mary. No, he says, But he said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. I know uh, many of you probably came from a Catholic background. And the Catholics, uh, they get Mary wrong, really wrong. Because, you know, Mary was a sinner. And in Catholic theology, no, we're talking about the Immaculate Conception, again, that... uh, uh, Mary was born in that special way that Jesus was born. And, and we've got, you know, the veneration of Mary, the worship of Mary. You can pray to Mary. And even them claiming 
that Mary is part of the salvation progress, that you need process. You need both Jesus and Mary. And, and again, that is not what the Word of God teaches. Back when Christianity became part of the Roman Empire, many of the pagan you know, thoughts and traditions were brought into Christianity, and that's where they got off the track uh, with Mary. Now, we know that Mary was a very special person, right? I mean, she had to be, to be the mother of the Messiah. She had to be someone who was committed and dedicated. And, and what does Mary say in her song? And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Mary was a sinner. Mary was given the incredible privilege to give birth to Jesus Christ, who would save her from the penalty of sin. You look at uh, Jesus Christ's relationship with his family, I mean, <laughs> he basically said, no, no, it's not about them, it's about me. And, uh, yeah, Mary needed Jesus as well. Now, say this with me again, God loves sinners. God, God loves sinners. And here's a new one. Sinners need Jesus. Sinners need Jesus. Say it again. Sinners need Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, here is the king of all grace, including all these big-time sinners in the genealogy, his own genealogy of, that, of, of Christ. And it's like, wow, God is all about grace. Now, if you have sin in your life, uh, obviously you need to deal with that and, and establish fellowship with God. But let's say that you're here today, and this is kind of new to you, or God's speaking to you and saying, what's this thing about Jesus? Well, Jesus came to this earth as we celebrate here as Christmas as a baby. He lived this life, all the pain and challenges we have, and he gave his life for us. We deserve the penalty of death because of our sin, but Jesus paid that price for us. 1 Peter 3.18, for he who knew no sin, yeah, I was going to try to recall it, but <laughs> the bottom line is that God used Jesus to bring sinners and God together so that we would no longer be known as sinners, but we would be known as children of God. And so as you move throughout this Christmas season, I, I just pray for you and me that we would just be so thankful that Jesus Christ sent His Son. The second thing I would encourage you to do who is that unsaved person in your life? Maybe somebody you can't stand because they're sinning. Maybe against you. All right, well, you need to realize, yes, it is sin, but they don't have what you have. They don't have Jesus' forgiveness. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They don't have the fact 
that they've heard no condemnation. That, that's what we've heard, right? We've experienced his forgiveness, no condemnation. Grace flows through us and in us, all these wonderful things. But let's pray for that one person who is a sinner, like we were, right? And let's pray that that person would come to know Jesus or take a few steps closer to him this Christmas. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I just pray that, first I want to thank you. Thank you for the incredible gift of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross to pay for our sin. And then I want to thank you for sinners in my life, or more clearly, sinners who don't know Jesus. Because I was one of them, Lord, and we all were. And we've experienced his grace and love. And I pray that we would have a supernatural love, even for people that maybe we can't stand, because they need Jesus too. And we need to tell them. I, I pray that as we go throughout this season, we would pray for that person who, who needs Jesus. And again, it doesn't look like they'll ever come to Jesus. But Lord, you do miracles. Thank you. Thank you so much. In Christ's name, amen.